William Miles and Brooke Cranshaw came up with uh, implementing crime prevention through environmental design on these two on these two vacant lots. And so this is an evidence-based practice. Mm-hmm. Essentially, instead of putting up a six-foot fence and saying, stay out, because you see that a lot in the inner city, they'll just put up a fence around a, a vacant lot, right? And now right, it's, a, right. it's an eyesore, nobody can use it, you know, it's just, it's um, detrimental other than keeping people out. And so there's another idea of creating pocket parks and creating community gardens and, you know, doing some landscaping to make the space, to beautifying the space, right? right? And so um, that's what we did. We created an epicenter of health and wellness versus um, just a stay out sign. Um, And so reconnecting this community and allowing this community to have access to a space to learn right? A safe space as well. We have reduced crime where we are located and not because we policed the problem away. You can't police the problem away. Right. Um, you, need, you need to engage people. You need to um, give people ownership of, of space. And so land justice is also a big part of our mission um, and something that we talk about um, because who owns the land, right? I'm Charmant. I'm Katie. And this is Unpacking Ethical. A podcast where we sip our favorite drinks at the moment. And talk about some things. Because there's nothing ethical about upholding the status quo. Let's talk about it. This week on Unpacking Ethical. Hey, this is Charmant. And I'm here with Katie and two other amazing people that we're going to be talking about community gardens and urban farming and um i forgot to tell you but yeah this is another episode of unpacking ethical (laughs) i'm looking forward to this conversation yeah this is going to be a super interesting one we're probably going to do things a little different i know we usually talk about what we drink in but we've got our two guests are kind of we got one on the road road. one on vacation so katie i'm gonna go ahead and ask you what you drinking and then we're gonna keep it (laughs) i will share what i'm drinking i'm drinking peppermint tea it's hot, but it's still so soothing. You know, so I have to tell you something because, um, okay, Alma is the name of the business, but she was talking about how she doesn't drink anything cold in the summer, like even though it's hot. But I was telling you, this is a common thing in like South Asia where they mm-hmm. drink warm things and that like ignites their bodies, like cooling systems. And I'm like, mm. I don't know where this came from that you have to drink cold stuff and because like people who live in like super hot climates drink hot things mm-hmm. <laughs> in the summer in order to stay cool so look you want it you you got it it's all right i love it it makes me feel good two cups of tea a day keeps the doctor away that's what i say i love tea all all sorts of teas but um peppermint is my favorite i had a lemon balm plant for a while and i would just go outside and pluck leaves from it and and steep them in warm water and drink it that way and that was real fun i like that yeah i like that i might try that me on the other hand am going western style with cold drink (laughs) (laughs) ain't nothing wrong with that it's fun (laughs) and i got myself a little izzy today because i don't know i just izzy's are fun they're bubbly they taste good they are. I love. I just like that it's just carbonated fruit juice. Makes me feel important. I don't know why. <laughs> I 
I'm like, I'm special. My, my fruit juice is carbonated. <laughs> but well, Steven's not drinking because he's on the road. Yeah. But yes, what would you be drinking if you were seated in a relaxing space right now? What would you what would be your drink of choice? Well, in the mornings, I do a detox tea. Um, it has a whole bunch of different herbs in it. It's uh, caffeine free. And then uh, just recently, I had a, a little green juice. So I like to do um, juices and, and smoothies uh, sort of in the day, midday. Um, it had, I think, some lime, some cayenne pepper. Uh, I think it had some cucumber, kale, maybe some apple and pear. So it was pretty good, nice and hydrating. And I'm probably about to go get a coconut water. I, I try to you know, drink as much natural stuff as possible. So coconut water is nice and hydrating, a little bit of sugar as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Do you have a so specific very, very brand similar. that you like for coconut water? Cause I'm, I um, you know, if I, if I, if, you know, if, if there was no issues, right. If I could just make a wish, I like actually drinking it straight from the coconut um, itself. And you can, you can get those at like central market and whole foods, but um, I do drink the central market brand. Um, it seems mm-hmm. to be okay. Uh, Vita Coco is another one that I drink. Um, those are probably the top two, I'd say. I like it. I like, I like it. the Vita one too. Yeah. I want to start yeah. drinking. I, I'm like, I've had coconut straight from the co- or coconut water straight from the coconut like one time and I did not enjoy that. So. Oh no, <laughs> I feel like it's almost carbonated. It's like a little bit of a bubbliness to it. You, you uh, know what, you might've had it better cause I had it while I was in Thailand, like on this uh, tour, like this riverboat tour. And I think, yeah, you yeah. know, they got tourists and they're like, they don't know nothing. We gonna give them <laughs> like the unripe coconut and they gonna uh, get what we give them and they gonna love it. And because of yeah. this experience, right? Well, some people Aww. say that it's a, a little bit of an acquired taste. Um, Cause there's like, there can be a staleness to them if you don't get like fresh ones, mm-hmm. but I, I love it. I, I, it's just so good. I like, try, I had yeah, a fresh coconut in Jamaica and it was really nice. And he, mm-hmm. he cut it open right there in front of us. It tastes, it was amazing. Kenya is ready to join us. I think um, we saw, I saw you carrying your mug. What's in your mug? Yeah. Thank you all for your patience. There was a neighbor who was giving us books for my child and I'm like, okay. Just a wild, a wild morning. It's very sweet. Um, so I am in a very beautiful mug. I did not know who made this mug, but it's very oh, nice. nice. I thought that it's to be the one to get. Um, I'm having just an English breakfast with a little bit of um, whole milk and um, yeah, just some spices because I had a little bit of um, chai early in the morning. Um, like being on another coast, I still woke up at 6am. So, you know, just, um, something warm. I like warm things in the morning. I do have like a green smoothie that I kind of traditionally will have every day. Um, but have also been enjoying like, um, yeah, tea, tea is like the thing for the most. Love that mug. Yeah. It's beautiful. Was it like hand? Done, do you think? I have to ask, but yeah, this is where, yeah, it looks like someone handmade it. One of my friends actually might've made it, to be honest. They're very like, you know, they're science-based, you know, practitioners and cultural um, social scientists, but also like super creative. Mm -hmm. So one of them could likely have made it, you know. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Those are the best friends to have. 
<laughs> I have decided. Yeah. Yeah. Friends who make stuff. And there's like science-based clothes too. It's like Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a really wonderful balance for sure. Yeah, Steven is out in the sun, in the heat, in the hot. And I feel <laughs> like your shirt is like gonna kick this all off. Michigan Urban Farming Initiative. Let's talk about it. Yeah, I went to uh, Detroit last summer. They, you know, I, I try to travel the country to see different approaches to urban agriculture. You know, there's a, a ton of different cities who are doing good work, and Detroit is one of those. So um, I went to go visit. I think it's the Eastern Market. Um, Mufi is sort of touted as one of the first agri-hoods, um, I guess, in this modern urban ag era. I think in 2007, the last major... Um, food grocery store moved out of the city during the economic downturn. And so a lot of uh, communities were able to uh, start urban farming or went deeper into urban farming. Uh, I think there's a, I forget the exact name of it, but there's like a black land trust and African-American uh, farming group. I mean, there's just a ton of groups out there um, that are doing really good work. Mm-hmm. And so I got this shirt when I visited them. Um, but yeah, I'm out at Gardopi. I'm at the gas station getting my coconut water in Topo Chico right now. And, um, you know, Gardopia um, uses the models that are around the the country to create best practices, you know, here in San Antonio. So why do you, yeah, like tell us what what those models are and like how Gardopia got started. Yeah, so I uh, studied uh, biochemistry for my undergraduate and I became very aware of the health crisis that we were having. Um, San Antonio was listed as one of the most obese cities in the nation. Um, You know, South Texas, um, of course, Mississippi, Alabama, um, Florida, we have the highest percentages of black and brown people and and, and impoverished communities. And we don't have access or, you know, the, the resources to have all the healthiest options. And so when I became aware of that, I was like, we have to do something about that. And that's when I started to figure out that the majority of people could be healthy um, if they had access to your options and if we were more physically active. And so how do you get people to do that? You know, not everybody wants to go to the gym. Um, Not everybody wants to, you know, eat a salad, right? So I found that gardening was a great way to bring those uh, things together um, in a productive, enjoyable manner. Um, You know, you're getting outside, you're connecting to nature, you're meeting community members, um, you are getting the fruits of your labor, right? Um, You go to the gym, you may not see, you know, immediate results. Same thing in the garden. You're not going to see immediate results. It takes time, but um, it seems to be a worthwhile effort for a lot of people. And so I started a community garden at my university. Um, and then, you know, you're sort of in a bubble in these universities, especially these private institutions. And so I knew that I needed to serve my community. And I talked to my professors about going out and serving um, my neighborhood, my community. And so they connected me uh, to the Eastside Promise neighborhood, which is an initiative, the United Way, um, to Obama, President Obama had designated a Promise Zones um, in San Antonio and LA, a couple of reservations, Kansas City. And essentially these Promise Zones gave 
uh, nonprofits extra points to apply for federal grants. And so the city of San Antonio, United Way, Trinity, San Antonio Housing Authority applied for a grant. I think they got $52 million, uh, $26 million for housing and $26 million for um, education. And that was a five-year grant between 2012 to 2017. And so the stars sort of aligned for us to uh, continue this work on the east side. So they had different metrics. And one of those metrics was access uh, to fresh produce and consumption of fresh produce. And so um, they did different strategies, but one of the strategies that they invested in uh, a few thousand was um, youth educational gardens. And so we started a garden at um, the Ella Austin Community Center serving uh, the youth in the community. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years down the line, I started working with schools and in 2015, Gardopia was founded. Uh, we were founded uh, to address the obesity epidemic uh, that was being uh, plaguing the United, it still plagues the United States to this day, uh, in addition to uh, the climate crisis and environmental degradation. And so we're here on the east side. Um, I can show you uh, my camera real quick. I'm in our uh, nutrition kitchen, but you can see outside um, that is our garden. Uh, space and I can give you a little bit more of a tour afterwards. Is that like, but a, tr like a palm tree though? Is that, palm tree? that is a banana tree. That's right a there. Bananas. <laughs> this is our this is our outdoor classroom space. We got Ricky just harvested like 20, 30 pounds of grapes. Mm, oh see. my gosh, look at those. Uh, and we have chickens, so we have about 12 or 13 chickens. We got Dominic, our COO, is putting in a misting system for them because it's super hot right now. Um, we have a greenhouse nursery area. We're starting a garden shop. Um, we have an aquaponics system that we're getting started. So we have some koi right there. You can see little orange mm -hmm. dots as well. And so yeah, that's, we're on a half acre. Um, we partnered with the San Antonio Housing Authority uh, to reduce crime on this lot. This was um, one of the highest crime intersections in the city in 2015. You know, unfortunately, uh, a young man was shot and killed after the MLK March here uh, in 2015. And so they got a grant to reduce crime. And of course they did different strategies. Um, they did more police officers. They did a shot spotter technology where they could track a gunshot. Um, they did um, drug raids, of course, but somebody had the crazy idea of doing crime prevention through environmental design. And so essentially they helped negotiate a land use agreement between us and the owner to start a community garden. And so that's how we got to this little, little slice of, of heaven here on the east side. And uh, to this day, we have different programs that we, that we uh, implement to address the issues of health and environmental degradation uh, through education. So we work with schools, churches, community centers, restaurants, residences. Um, I took the model of goodwill a lot of nonprofits will be out of luck if all the grants and donations run out. So we wanted to be financially sustainable without grants and donations. So we provide services. Um, we provide education, academic curriculum. Um, we also uh, build gardens for people. Uh, we have a farmer's market um, and we have a garden media program. So we have a podcast, a magazine and a YouTube channel. That is awesome. You said a lot that needs to be unpacked in there, especially yeah. regarding like the impact in communities. But we're gonna like circle back to that. I'm gonna let yeah. Kenya tell us about Blue Light Junction because she has a really interesting take on the whole urban farming community garden thing. And 
We're going to come back to that, though. Yeah, I got a pen. <laughs> I got a pen right, on yeah. the crime thing, too, because I yeah, really right? want to unpack that. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I will go in and out of having a mask on just because I have um, a communal house I'm in right now. But um, so let me know if you cannot hear me as I'm speaking. Um, so part of um, my work, I started um, an organization called Blue Light Junction in January of 2020. So we are um, definitely new and um, kind of in um, our early stages of our work, but I was a part of a project called the Baltimore Natural Dye Initiative um, through many different uh, community um, governmental organizations. So the Department of Housing and Community Development, Maryland State Arts Council, um, the First Lady of the State of Maryland, Yumi Hogan, um, so the governor, um, the Department of Commerce, and then in partnership um, curricularly with the Maryland Institute College of Art. And so I had just recently moved back East and um, became a part of um, that initiative as a, um, early on as a resident artist through the Maryland Institute College, College of Art. So I'm an, a natural dyer, um, textile artist. And so my work um, has been in teaching those practices for the last, um, at the time it was um, eight years. Um, so to date um, it's been about 12. And so um, it was exciting to have an opportunity to move um, someplace really like my family um, is in the Virginia, DC, um, like Prince George's County area, but um, I had never lived in Baltimore. And so to be able to come to the city and to have an opportunity to do that work, um, to be funded was really amazing. Um, and so that project was 18 months. And then as that project um, started to sort of turn uh, through its like, nine month mark, I really just was looking at what, what the impact had been for all of us. And then again, thinking about how academia can um, keep things exclusive. Um, and so myself and my co-collaborator and um, the other artists in residence, Rosa Chang and I had started a, um, a dye garden. So we had a community garden where I lived um, and we, she and I came up with the idea through our residency to start looking at all of these plants um, as we were looking through culture and tradition um, on the university level. And um, that scope of work for us was really personal and just about like what we were interested in focusing on, but the impacts were really long because we got to bring in community. We got to bring in um, a number of um, students who are in Baltimore City, but also students who were at um, different colleges. And that was just really generative in a way that we, we hadn't expected. Um, we were just really thinking about curiosity and didn't expect that so many others would be curious. And so as we continued that garden um, there, so the garden is Hidden Harvest. Um, there's one side that's like chickens and an orchard and, um, vegetables. And then we, in the open lot, um, started this dye garden um, just with a couple rows of plants. Indigo was um, one that was really significant, um, but native species. And then also looking at different historical dyes really, um, and fiber as well. I was really interested in cotton, um, like 
growing Nicotianos of the tobacco and thinking about those relationships um, historically. So we were doing that. And then um, the opportunity came up that the building next to the garden was available. And so really that's the nexus of the, the, the Blue Light Junction story is that that space became available. And um, I just felt like a greater calling to continue the work. And um, so through that, we, I took on the space and I say we a lot because my intention and the work that I do has been collaborative. Um, there has been a lot of sort of um, personal money spent to support mm -hmm. the studio, but also energetically, like I couldn't do it without so many other people. And the intention is for the space to grow into a cooperative um, mm -hmm. space so that it's really um, a hub for cultural understanding, preservation um, and tradition. We also process the plants that we're working with. So in 2020, we started this like experiment of growing in community with other uh, urban farms. So once I came into Baltimore, the city has, has just a prolific amount of urban um, farms. And so um, I felt really honored that people like let us in uh, into the space, you know, with ease and grace. And, and so there's a, there was a farm at the time called um, Cherry Hill Urban Farm Chug, which is under Black Yield Institute, which is run by um, servant director Eric Jackson. And so Eric and I had this um, sort of relationship and this conversation around like, what if we grew just collectively um, and what would that look like for, um, our work to be outside of just one part of the city, go to go to South Baltimore, to have things that um, could be more connected to their community. So we started growing with Chug in 2020. And then we built a partnership with an organization called Innovation Works, which focuses on entrepreneurship um, makers and allowing businesses to thrive in Baltimore city, um, really reconnecting resources to community, um, growing businesses and jobs and things like that. And so Innovation Works then allowed for us to do consulting um, through there. They had received a grant to look at um, natural dyes in like the ecosystem of Baltimore. And so we came in, um, did consulting for them and then established another four farms that we got funding to support. Um, and once we did that, then we were in Northeast Baltimore, we were in West Baltimore, we were in South Baltimore, we were in Central Baltimore. And so this season 22 is our second season growing. The project is called Nature's Colors Initiative. And we're in our second season with them. And um, we're now uh, in six farms. And so really looking at the impact of growing um, in collaboration and in collectivism and thinking about building and growing um, a greater, uh, cooperative of, of dye farmers, um, people who are growing dye plants to really think about like the historical aspect of a lot of these plants, um, indigo being one of the five cash crops that um, were cultivated during the transatlantic slave trade. Right. And also like reestablishing relationships. Like I started growing cotton. We had this community of students come and ask me um, from a place called the African uh, Diaspora Alliance like how did growing cotton, like how did that feel for you? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, it was a relationship I didn't know that I needed um, to be reconnected to. And so it really helped me to understand that like not only were people colonized, plants were colonized. And so right. 
disconnecting us from um, one another is also a form of colonialism and how um, these systems can continue to um, perpetuate, right? So if you're traumatized by growing food, <laughs> you're right. not food, you know? Right. Yes. Traumatized by growing um, plants or medicine, you're not growing it anymore. Right. And so you're essentially eroding your history, your health, your future, um, your stories, all these things. So really just like understanding how reconnecting to nature first helps me reconnect to myself, my history, all of the things that um, preceded me, all of the things that are to come, you know, what I can pass on to my child. Okay, you two <laughs> are giving us so much. I got some questions. Girl, I have questions because I'm like, I don't even know. Because I want to dive like right in. I want to dive right <laughs> into a couple of things. Um, there are questions, but let me just make the statements first. <laughs> um, because I think we all can agree that reconnecting to land has been kind of a central theme in. Um, the healing of our relationships, with specifically Black people, um, Black Americans, um, our relationships with each other and um, with nature as well. But I'm, I've been thinking about like Stephen and also Kenya, y'all brought up two things that made me think about why this is so important. And, and I say reconnecting and I really want, I try to be delicate with the language that I use um, because while, you know, I may not personally know as much about, you know, growing things and stuff. I can take the responsibility and say, well, I'm going to heal this relationship, but not everyone has access to that and not everyone's at that place. And that was by design. Um, the systems that were created were designed to separate us from that. And so I wanted to like note that, but also talking about the crime on the east side of San Antonio. And I think, Stephen, you mentioned that um, there was, I think, kind of a, a movement to increase policing in the community. I think you might have said something like that, but instead it, it sounds like they y'all decided that that wasn't a direction or somebody else decided that, hey, we probably should do something that's community-based and centered where people have access to um, food, but not only food, but access to like the soil and, and reconnecting with the plants and the land around them, as opposed to like, let's just add more police. And I'm just wondering if, if that my question is for you first, but I'm sure Kenya will probably have something to comment on with this, but like, um, do, do you feel that that is probably the better, more in alignment route to go is to say, hey, let's just make sure that we have access, that people have access to things that they've been separated from first. As you were saying, um, the east side of San Antonio has been divested in. Um, yes. It's no different mm -hmm. than any other impoverished neighborhood, whether you're in Miami or, or Baltimore or New York right. or LA, right? Like these issues aren't specific to San Antonio. Um, they, you see them all over the country and all over the right. world. Um, and so the San Antonio Housing Authority received this grant to reduce crime along these intersections of New Braunfels, Givers, Walters. These are sort of the main corridors of the east side, which is a historically African-American community. Um, and so they did those other approaches. You know, they did have uh, more street cops. Um, you know, again, I'm sure they did more detective work for drug raids. Um, they did a shot spotter technology where they could track a gunshot 
in one mile radius to a pinpoint. Um, but aside from terrifying. that, terrifying. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely. Well, William Miles and Brooke Cranshaw came up with uh, implementing crime prevention through environmental design on these two on these two vacant lots. And so this is an evidence based practice. Essentially, instead of putting up a six foot fence and saying, stay out, because you see that a lot in the inner city, they'll just put up a fence around a, a vacant lot, right? And now right, it's, a, right. I, it's an eyesore, nobody can use it, you know, it's just, it's um, detrimental, other than keeping people out. And so there's another idea of creating pocket parks and creating community gardens and, you know, doing some landscaping to make the space to beautifying the space, right? right? And so um, that's what we did. We created an epicenter of health and wellness versus um, just a stay out sign. Um, and so reconnecting this community and allowing this community to have access to a space to learn, right? A safe space as well. We have reduced crime where we are located and not because we policed the problem away. You can't police the problem away. Right. Um, you, need, you need to engage people. You need to um, give people ownership of, of space. And so land justice is also a big part of our mission um, and something that we talk about um, because who owns the land, right? Over 97% uh, of Texas is privately owned. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to say 92% of farmland in America is owned by European Americans. Right. Um, and most farmers are elderly white males, right, mm -hmm. who for one reason or another are, are farming. And so I think close to 90% of African-American land was lost between 1910 uh, to 1997, which is estimated to be in the 4 to $13 billion range. Um, so there's a lot of issues around who has access to land, who owns the land, um, the quality of the land. Um, and so these are some things that we're trying to address. And this is a prototype, right? If we can do this here, we could do it mm -hmm. anywhere. Um, Ron Finley is one of the uh, more popular urban farmers in Los Angeles um, who talks about the city of Los Angeles owning, you know, thousand square miles of land. And the city of San Antonio owns quite a bit of land too. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think land trusts and opportunities to um, look at reparations through land is something that every municipality can and should do. Right. I agree hundred percent. Yes. And we I just, think, yeah. Yeah. I was just kind of thinking about you talking about like the fencing around vacant lots. And I'm like, we talk a lot about the physical aspect of being um, disconnected from our past and from land in that sense. And we don't necessarily think, I think about the, the psychological ramifications of having um, nothing, like literally nothing, like you said, just an eyesore being cut off from you and being like, you're not good enough to like be in this space. Like right. this nothingness is like cut off from you. And I'm like, that, that does something to a mind. You know what I mean? It does. To see, to see nothing that you, you can't get to nothing. And right. Like, okay, wait a minute. Like, Nothing's happening, yours. right? It's right. it's yeah. just it's just it's just sitting there, and you see it, you know, block after block, a neighborhood after neighborhood, and so there's so many opportunities uh, to create green spaces for our community. Because again, in a lot of these neighborhoods, um, the yards are small. Um, if you're you're you may be living mm -hmm. in an apart you may be living in apartments, so you don't have access to nature. You can't just go walk in the backyard and take your shoes off right. and go walk in the grass and go harvest something. It was such an interesting uh, point 
because we're all kind of, it sounds like we're on this theme of like reclaiming, reconnecting and healing. Um, and, you know, you brought up land justice, Stephen, and I wanted, Kenya, how these ideas I feel like intersect is when you talked about healing that relationship that with cotton specifically, or are these crops that, because as soon as you started talking about it, I was thinking like to myself, how traumatic that could be. How do you go about like, I guess convincing people that it's okay to be open to that sort of healing process. I mean, I think all of those are great questions or great things to like, you know, wonder about, but we can't really know like what helps someone, you know, because right. what helps me may not help you. Right. Uh, but I do know that examples are m more impactful. So if mm -hmm. I have an example of having a strong, positive relationship with something or someone mm -hmm. that, that will offer someone the, the opportunity to be more curious or to be more interested or to be more um, engaged in something rather right. than like being in a, you know, a dance of negativity or something that doesn't feel um, possible or, or, or generating, you know, a healthy uh, engagement. And so I think that that me, so by people seeing me, so there's a lot of things that, you know, I was even just kind of talking about it with friends this morning. Like I'm a person of color, you know, I'm black, I am um, a woman, I'm all these things. But in, in the context of like how I present our work, my goal is really to think about all people, you know, and to think about all of the things that we all have brought to the work. And so there's a really strong desire on my part to really look at like cultures that are indigenous, cultures that are Latinx, cultures that are, you know, um, Asian that have a very specific relationship to Baltimore. And, you know, and, and then there are people who are white who have a lot to offer as well. So I really feel like even just thinking about those things in context of like how to show people that you can have a healthy relationship to multi, um, like multiple communities, right? Like I don't have to just go on the basis of color. So like, that's a healing too. And so if I'm gonna, if I'm expecting to be able to live comfortably in that space, I have to show that by example. I am by all, all sort of like presence, like black, black, as I like to say, you know, and um, I have all the things that, you know, are important to me culturally. I grew up you know, in a black city, I grew up with black mayors, I grew up with black politicians, right? Um, but I need to learn how to be engaged in other relationships. So my travels are the things that brought me that. So if I can, again, like the plant thing I'm using as a pivot also to say like, there are all of these ways that we can heal these systems that have created divisions between us, you know? And that's division from myself, that's division from the earth, that's division from other humans. And so I think mm -hmm. just by example is how I feel like it's best to sort of engage people um, in greater like earth practice, in greater human practice, right? Um, oh, yes. All of these things I think are how I do that work um, and that I let the chips fall where they may, you know? It is mm -hmm. not really for me to decide, like I've even said to people like, you know, because funders are like, what's the impact of how, how many volunteers have you had? What's the impact of whatever? 
And I'm like, listen, I don't get to decide if somebody goes home and starts like composting and uses like, you know, less shower water, right? But by being here and having some opening and awareness, like if something will shift for you in your life and that's mm-hmm. not you, like, I don't need to shame you or to force you to think away or to like, you know, we're just here for that opportunity, right? For you to to think a little bit differently, for you to dream a little bit differently. Um, and it's up to you how, how it moves you, you know? I kind of want to get a little bit from both of you on, um, I guess maybe I'll just leave it open instead of asking a specific question. <laughs> I was like, I had a specific question, but maybe I just want to leave it open. And just what do you want to leave us with or just like leave the audience with as far as anything and everything you've talked about? I, I think one, I'm really grateful to get to know more about um, Stephen's work and the work in, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I think I've been to Texas twice um, and I don't have a relationship or understanding of that work. And I also like, am like a de facto urban farmer, you know, like I am farming is what I like to say. I'm, I don't consider myself a farmer. Right, um, right. Because, you know, people are out here doing stuff and I'm like, let me yeah. not just <laughs> dishonor that with my like, <laughs> you know, growing capacities. But um, yeah, I, de- I definitely having, just having more understanding of like the work that is happening and like, you know, bringing up Ron Finley and just like all of the knowledge that people have poured into this, um, mm-hmm. I think is is profound, you know, and we need a place that synergizes all of those things. Um, and I know people have been doing that work. My best friend is one of those people started a community garden in the lower nine after Katrina um, and the Backyard Gardeners Network. And really just thinking about like how I've watched all of the work she's done and those community of folks grow. And so I think what I want to leave with people is also just the offering that like um, there is more to know about um, ourselves through plant um, Mm -hmm. access, through plant experiences. And it shouldn't be, um, again, a barrier. Like I've heard people say, oh, I don't want to grow flowers. That's like some white people stuff or that's not for us or, you know, And do you know how I've been like literally getting a bouquet of flowers since I was 20, you know, every week. And that that's, that's an impact to my life. It gives me like a connection to something beautiful and sweet and like the color and the the ability for nature to just blossom in a certain way allows me to understand more about myself. So I think that like, there are more, there are more ways and plants and life to investigate in that, um, you know, and we, we could, I'm sure Steven could go into it, but like, let's not talk about mushrooms, you know, like there's so many things that really, um, I think are important and small for us to really be, um, compelled by in life. Mm -hmm. And that I really want to see more wild gardens in the city that I want to see more integrated places where I can be walking through my neighborhood to another main street and I see a waterfall or like up an estuary of you know like life and that it shouldn't just be for people who are um in obviously like communities that have resources or in places that are distant and far you know 
Um, so just wanting to bring that, you know, um, back into the cities, I think, um, and reconnecting and how important it is for all of us yeah. to do. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, no, it's the same thing. I'm so happy y'all brought us together. Um, I've heard a little bit about Baltimore, but now I need to go visit you, Kenya. Um, I follow a couple of uh, farmers out in Baltimore who are doing like an agri-hood out there. And so, um, again, I just want to continue uh, to learn from all these resources that we have in this nation and really around the world, right? Um, you know, America has been uh, disconnected from our food systems. Um, we are overfed, but malnourished. And so with my background um, in nutrition and biochemistry, um, and I became an urban farmer, you know, I think that's the way to be the healthiest as possible. Um, and so, you know, health is one of the few things we have. You know, I, I tell people you can take away, you know, my clothes, my car, my house, but you can't take away my body unless you kill me. And so how do we protect our bodies and make them um, the systems that they were created to be and with this genetically uh, embedded in all of us. And so health is, is really key because it doesn't matter how much money you get, even the most wealthiest people have to pay a lot of money for their health, right? Mm -hmm. For a heart transplant, yeah. for a lung transplant, for a kidney transplant. And we, we've been tricked. We've been tricked um, through processed foods. It's called the standard American diet, which is very sad. And therefore, we're eating highly processed carbohydrates, uh, sugars, salts, um, saturated fats, and it is killing us. It's a slow death is what happens. And our quality of life um, slowly decreases over time. And we become reliant uh, upon the medical system through pharmaceuticals um, to maintain somewhat homeostasis. And so I'm just really mm -hmm. passionate about taking care of our vessels. And I'm still learning and doing my best to do that but I still have room for improvement as we all do. Something else is remembering how I got into this because you know, a lot of people are like, oh, this is all hippy dippy, like whatever, you know? Um, and there's been a, a misnomer and negative um, connotations that have been created around these words that we use. But overall, um, I was doing this to be healthy because I was an athlete, right? I was playing football, track, um, basketball in high school and then I was a, a track athlete in college as well and so you know whether you do it from the environmental side whether you do it from the health side whether you do it from the economic side whether you do it from the community sector it doesn't really matter we all eat food and that's the common denominator that we have and so if we realize this common denominator and we can create these food systems that are circular economies that create wealth within our communities, mm -hmm. I think that we can move towards a more sustainable planet. And the United Nations is saying it, local municipalities are saying it, um, but how do you go from saying it to doing it? And mm -hmm. that's what we're, we're trying to prove out here in San Antonio. I feel like we need a part two because there's still a lot to unpack. I know, yes. there is still so much. <laughs> we, we might have to circle back. We're gonna have to circle back. But in the meantime, can you tell the people where they can find you? Um, thank you both for um, bringing us together and for facilitating um, a really, I think, necessary, but also just easy conversation. Um, and uh, so we are Blue Light Junction, uh, Blue Dot Light Junction at IG and bluelightjunction.com. I'm also um, an artist. And so I have my own IG, Traveling Miles Studio um, on Instagram. And you can find us in central Baltimore in Greenmount West, um, 
harvesting, processing, planting, growing. Um, yeah, and just being in community at Hidden Harvest um, Farm. You can definitely find Gardopia on the interweb. Um, at Gardopia Gardens is our hashtags on, or not hashtags, our handles on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can go to our website too. It's gardopiagardens.org. Uh, like I said earlier, we have a YouTube channel. We have um, Gardopia Gardens, and we have a series called Organic Gardening 101. So you can visit us if you're here in San Antonio, Texas, uh, 619 North New Braunfels. We're on the near east side, close to downtown. And, um, you know, again, re please reach out. Um, Sharman and, and Katie and Kenya, definitely looking forward to keeping this conversation going. Yeah. Are you guys still doing classes at the Pearl? On second Saturdays. So we took off for the summer, July. We might be back in August, but for sure September. You can see us on second Saturdays at 10 o'clock uh, with Compost Queens. Oh, that's right. Okay, nice. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate you. Thank y'all. Got to go get in this sun. Hey y'all, thanks for listening and or watching. Unpacking Ethical is an independent video podcast hosted by the Ethical Network of San Antonio. Your co-hosts are Sharmon Levy and Katie, and we thank you for tuning in. Please follow us on Instagram and our YouTube channel, and hey, leave a review wherever you're listening. <laughs>